Breakfast at Tiffany's? Yeah. 60s with, uh, what's her name? Tiffany or whatever, not Tiffany, or the, the Audrey Hepburn. Yeah. Yeah. Because it just becomes, in my opinion, even though it's considered to be a really, really good movie, in fact, some people even put it on like a top movie of all time list, yada, yada, yada. It just kind of becomes a very bland, um, like 60s, like, oh, the main character is like a pretty handsome, tall writer. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to be like down on his luck and out on his first time, out, out, out on his own for his first time. But you just get that 1960s sense of like everything's gonna be just fine. It's not played up for drama or anything like that, right? Like it's just it's more so about like him falling in love with this girl. It's almost like the way that I would describe it is like a misinterpretation of 500 Days of Summer. Yeah. Right. Like it, it almost it parallels not in themes but in like misunderstanding the way yeah you know, solely in the idea of misunderstanding, right? Like because the book, in my opinion, is way more about like. It starts off and it's Truman Capote basically telling kind of a nonfiction story, right? He's talking about like, uh, he just says like, yeah, you know, I had this crummy little apartment, you know, I hadn't had anything published yet. I didn't have a lot of money, but I loved that place. You know, it was small and it was dirty and it was moist, but it was my place. And I had a little shelf and it was my shelf. I had books and it was, they were my books and it was my place. You know, I had a little desk where I do all my writing, you know. And suddenly there's this girl upstairs, you know, Tiffany, and she has sex with older men for money and she does whatever she wants and all of her, her you know, her apartment's still packed up and, you know, the dream. she plays guitar and there's all these things that intoxicate him about him, but not in a romantic sense. It's very platonic. They never cross the threshold of it being romantic because he's much more, without saying it, it's, it's, it's the great Gatsby story without the regret part. It's mainly like the main character Nick's story, right? It's that idea of like, wow, here's this person that embodies all these things I wish I had in my life, right? This sort of like flippant, you know, uh, no roots, able to do whatever I want whenever I want, right? She almost embodies the idea of like city life, right? And, you know, she's gone just as soon as she came, but also much like the Gatsby story, like she's got her own kind of complications, you know, it turns out that actually she was like wed to like this old farmer at like 14 or something like that. And she had like all these kids and she had to raise them, but they weren't hers. They were like from a previous marriage or something like that. And she just ran away one day you know, to the city and kind of became a model and yada, yada, yada. And he ends up like tracking her down and finding her. And, you know, there's just a, I wish I had the wild brilliance because there's this really beautiful moment at the end where she does this interesting switch where they're having a conversation. It's like the last time he sees her and they're like in the back of like a taxi or something like that. And she just kind of breaks down about how she's like, without saying it, because it's never been communicated to her that he admires these things about her. She basically, you know, gives like a very very emotional like it's not all as cracked up to be kind of speech but it, it's more so tied to this like metaphor of like this cat that she has that she actually tries to throw the cat out but the cat comes back and something about not having anyone or maybe having the cat or caring about the cat or not caring about the cat I can't remember but anyways what I'm really getting at is that like yeah the, the, the like I said the story is a, the, the, the book is a very beautiful story of yeah being naive being young right yeah it's like grass is only always greener story right like you 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 know you watch people and you just assume like wow they must have it so nice and you slowly come to the adult understanding of like no it's probably a little different than you think you know and like i said the movie just ends up being a very bland colorful 60s like romantic comedy she's supposed to be quirky she's supposed to be like joey deschanel in the movie right but in the book it's a much more realistic like no she's not quirky she just genuinely is kind of a little broken like everybody yeah. you know like yeah. there are things that are bad about her she's not you know a manic pixie dream girl so much as she's human yeah, yeah. i was at work today and this new guy uh is working in front of me and he goes nick do you speak spanish at all and i went not not a lot 
which is a lie. I don't speak any Spanish. And he's like, he's like, look at this. And he shows me a slip that has a city name on it. And it says Punta Gordoda mm-hmm. or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, this means nothing to me. He's like, I'm pretty sure it's like slang, like curse words. And I went, yeah. He's like, I'm pretty sure it means fat bitch. And I'm like, I don't, I'm going to say no. <laughs> I'm going to say it's probably two words that look like that. Yeah. And he's like, hmm. Grass is always greener, and walked away. And I was like, that was maybe the most confusing interaction I've had with a human being. You said grass is always greener, which reminded me of it. Eating Soup Alone is a podcast hosted by me, Christopher Crumlin, and co-hosted by Nicholas Johnson. We try our best to ramble incoherently about a handful of movies at least once a week. So anyway, we saw Misery. Did we get my whole Breakfast at Tiffany's rant? Absolutely. Oh, wow. Um, well, on a side note also, uh, you're right, we did also see Seven. Yes, that's what I was going to bring up. You're right. Oh, which would you like to discuss first? Uh, probably. I mean, you can go with your aside, whatever you were going to say. That's just... nah, table talk. We'll talk later. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's start with seven. Okay. Because I think we have the least to say about it. Okay. You weren't blown away by it, and I slept through about half of it. <laughs> Uh, I've seen it a bunch of times before. Not a bunch, like maybe twice before. Okay. Um, my, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, as a young child, uh, Nicholas was very uh, taken by Fight Club and was uh, like like most 13-year-old boys are. I was like, ooh, I just got to watch everything else by this guy. Um, and I only watched seven. And I was like, oh, fuck. That was so fucked up and dark and one of the best movies I ever seen, mm-hmm. and from that point on, I, I've just been telling everybody all the time, like, "Oh, Seven, it's one of the greats. You got to see Seven. Mm-hmm. And watching it last night, I was like, "This movie's good. <laughs> I, I don't love it. I don't hate it. Again, maybe I would have, maybe I would have liked more of it if I wasn't asleep." Yeah. Um, like I said, I did. I think I slept through my favorite part from my memory, but I thought this time around, what I saw was good. Yeah. Yeah, the way it struck me um, was that it was a bit obvious it was his second movie, I guess, is the best way to put it. Yeah, okay. Um, I feel like uh, I should say from the get that I liked it. Yeah. I think it is good. By no means is it a bad movie. I just think it's a case of like unfulfilled or unrealized potential. Yeah. I was just expecting a little bit more. And up until the last second, I was assuming there'd be a little bit more. And there just never really was a little bit more. Yeah. Right? So, from the get, we uh, are introduced to Morgan Freeman. Detective Somerset. Yeah. Detective Somerset. Detective William Somerset. Yep, that's right. That's right. Beautiful name. Love him. It's a good. Yeah. And I think he does a great job. I really like his character. Morgan Freeman? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, it's the classic. Uh, I'm one day away from retirement cop. It is. It's done pretty well. But I think uh, there's also a little subversion, right? He's this learned cop, right? Yeah. He's this scholarly cop who uh, never pulls his gun and stuff, right? And in fact, I like that. That, um, you know, the more gruff and unrefined, uh, you know, Brad Pitt character. I don't even remember his name. David. Um, Mills. David, David Mills. Mills. He honestly, I there are a lot of traits that do not fit this, but he gives me more of a vibe of like the grizzled detective than Morgan Freeman does. Okay. So I think they're both kind of interesting subversions in that way, to a degree, right? Like, like I said, he's this thirty-four-year-old veteran, right? Uh, and yes, he fits into the stereotype of like being a bit over it, being very experienced and knowing exactly what's going on and being one day from retirement or whatever. Uh, but also he's got this kind of like learned thing about him, very soft thing about him. Right. Um, and then, yeah, you've got, uh, Brad Pitt. He's new. He's hungry. Uh, he's quick, you know, he's brash. This also naive feels like, it feels like David Fincher's second movie. It also feels like Brad Pitt's second movie. If I'm being honest. Yeah. I did not love him. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. He got on my nerves. But also, I mean, that's, I would also say a mark of a good job to a degree. No, right? I, I don't know if he means so much like, oh, this character is annoying. It yeah. just feels like a lot of what Brad Pitt is saying is mm -hmm. Brad Pitt reading a sentence off of a piece of paper. Saying, that's fair, but I would say even the character got on my nerves a little bit. Oh, yeah. No, definitely so. that. But what, yeah, what, yeah. What, what I'm driving at is... Uh, I but think, no, I agree I think Brad Pitt's a great actor. We talked about this a mm -hmm. little bit last night. He is a great character actor who just mm -hmm. happens to be so handsome that people make him a leading man. Mm -hmm. And I don't even think he's so much a leading man in this, but still I feel like, oof, mm -hmm. Brad Pitt as an actor has come a long way since then. Yeah, uh, I'll agree with that. I'll also say I've only ever noticed this with Gone Girl, but something that struck me immediately is for at least the first half of the film, maybe it's perhaps me getting used to it or maybe it gets better going on, both Gone Girl and this movie have a problem with sound mixing. So quiet. Where I feel like, yeah, the, the, the dialogue is so quiet and everything around them is very loud. Yeah, it's two and people I, having a very soft conversation inside of a car in the middle of a of a hurricane. And I would also say I think it's probably a conscious choice David Fincher. Like, I think he wants that. I guess. I would say. I think I would, I would think it's it, because of the fact that, what is it, like 15 years later, 10, 20 years later, whatever, I see it again in Gone Girl. It must be something he wants. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I have no problem with people talking softly and then the action scenes and stuff yeah. are very loud. But like I said, while two people are talking very softly, while a lot of heavy rain is falling on a car, I feel like that's detrimental. Oh, yeah. If I'm going, what the fuck are they mm -hmm. saying? It's, yeah. I think it's bad. Yeah, like I say, I'm not saying it's the right choice, but I'm th I'm thinking it seems intentional. And I don't think it has a proper effect. I, I think it works much better in a movie like Taste of Cherry, which is a movie I want to make you watch. Yeah. Um, subtitled because it's Iranian so you know we know what they're saying but the sound design is such that like it'll be drowned out what the characters are saying sometimes but that what happens then is that again it's diegetic sound mm -hmm. so the other character will say I'm sorry what and they'll repeat the line and I think that's really neat and it yeah, really like, really does create this sense of realism you like that car zoom in behind this there you go, yeah. yeah. Diegetic sound, baby. Um, yeah, I think that's totally fine. That sounds cool. It sounds yeah. immersive, but it's but it's really the most important part is the. I'm sorry. To repeat that. Yeah, exactly. Which you never get here, yeah, yeah. right? So you never actually end up hearing a lot of what they're saying. I think. I think a lot of the times I was listening with perked ears, really trying to. But I got most of it. Yeah.
So anyways, into the bulk of the film. Obviously, murderer. Seven murders are presumably going to happen. Seven days before seven days Somerset retires. Before Somerset retires. And uh, seven deadly sins, right? Yep. And there's... Uh, it's... Provocative is perhaps the word, right? Um, which does not denote, you know, necessarily quality or substance. Just the idea that it provokes you a little bit, right? Yeah. Each of these murders are provocative and they're a bit shocking and they are interesting. And they're very neat. Uh, but like I said, I don't know where the failing happens, but there's a degree to which where I feel like I could connect more to exactly what the killer's motive or yeah just motive kind of is or like his rationale or his thought process i understand fully that it's kind of that classic no country for old men trope where obviously the murderer views the world as if it's slowly descending more and more into sin and hell and right and you know you kind of get that mirrored a bit with the morgan freeman character yep who's becoming disgusted by like the apathy that everybody has towards these things um whereas you know the murderer has more of a problem with the fact that they're even happening yeah um, but to get into the Morgan Freeman thing, that was another thing, you know, again, it just, it, it comes off a little grumpy old man, not that he's that grumpy, but just that no country for old men thing, right? Where he's like, I just can't believe the apathy around me. But again, there's a bit of a disconnect. I don't know where, where like he doesn't go into enough depth with it for it to feel like I can sympathize with his apathy, um, solution or, or his problem with the, the idea that apathy is a solution because it just seems like a no brainer to me. You have to be a bit apathetic. Everybody can't be walking around all day as an open nerve. Yeah. It's not really that much of a sin. I feel like f- at some point the movie had to go a step further with his opinion, right? Like to have something even more poignant to say about the apathy. Yeah. Rather than just, oh, apathy bums me out. Do you have anything to say about the seven murders and the deadly the, sins? Yeah. For, uh, ba- uh, and piggy- the apathy. Yeah. Picking, piggybacking off of what you're saying, it definitely feels like a movie based on a book mm-hmm. where you got to cut a lot of stuff out because it's a movie. Mm-hmm. And instead of focusing on that, yeah, uh, it focuses more on like, ooh, this is fucked up. The headline stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's not. It's not mm-hmm. based on a book. Um, Interesting. Because I was curious. I genuinely was curious. Yeah. Um, I just looked it up while you were talking. Sorry. Um, and yeah, I think it could... It would It would be a step above, and I think I probably very truly would have really enjoyed it and probably still recommend it to people if... Yeah, if it delved a little bit more into that. Mm-hmm. More into the Somerset versus John Doe. How they're kind of in line but on opposite ends mm-hmm. and uh just the whole mission statement i guess of both of them and how brad pitt gets caught in the middle but yeah i think just the the, the big punch of this movie is like you said it's all the headline stuff which doesn't feel like headline stuff anymore yeah um, it might be uh, it's uh, I'm gonna. I will like, say it didn't shock me as much as I was expecting. Yeah, I, it was very shocking. Yes, I. But, I feel like I'm gonna sound like uh, No Country for Old Men now, but it's like, yeah, I'm just kind of used to this. I've seen worse movies yeah. at this point, so I'm like, I've seen worse shit in real life. Uh, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. I remember, yeah, I remember the first time seeing it, being like, oh fuck, you mean that guy eat himself to death, or oh fuck, that guy tied to the bed is still alive, or oh fuck, the dick knife. 
and the yeah. dick knife was probably the most jump the shark thing for me yeah where i was yeah, just yeah. like that's insane yeah that's genuinely insane and then uh very 90s oh this movie's so 90s very like max Payne over the top yes. shocking for shock's sake yeah i was thinking about that when i was watching it at the beginning just aesthetically just all the 90s cops i'm just mm-hmm. like oh this is so max Payne. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the brad pitt character i feel yeah. like yeah and then i uh we should watch max Payne sometime starring mark Wahlberg. are there not multiples no there's just the one there's just the one because i know judge dread has a couple the punisher has a couple um i remember seeing max Payne in the theater yeah with a friend of mine and his dad his dad really liked the video game um my dad was also a max Payne fan max Payne was one of like we got our playstation 2 when i was a kid and someone bought my dad some video games for christmas that he never played i was maybe five six years old it was metal gear and max Payne, mm-hmm. and just years went by and they just sat on a shelf and i got i don't know like nine ten years old I'm just you know you're a kid and you're just fiending for more video games i'm like i'm gonna play these i guess because we yeah. have them and i just fell in love with them um max Payne is very cheesy the video game it's just very cheesy hard-boiled detective on the wrong side of the law but then the video game i mean the movie starts one of the main characters was replaced by ludicrous and then another one is played by the dad from king of the hill no, it was like it was a it was like a, a sitcom on like ABC Family. I think. Oh, you're talking about Grounded for Life. Grounded for Life, yes, the dad from Grounded for yeah, Life. Yeah, I just ripped that out of my memory. That used to come on after school, and for some reason, I just always put it on. Oh, same. Don't know if it was uh, good same. or not. Don't remember it. Um, I just remember him and the the brother from it shows up and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the brother, but the dad from Made Simple Rules is in it, and I'm like, oh fuck, all right. And then the game, the first level of the game happens at Roscoe Street Station at the mm-hmm. subway. And there's a part in the movie where Max Payne's walking in a subway and he walks past a sign that says Roscoe Street Station. And I'm like, oh, fuck, here we go. This movie's going to be great. And then it just <laughs> takes a right turn and it's just dog shit from what I remember. Um, Can I derail you for a moment to talk about after school shows? Do you want to derail off my derailment? Yeah, absolutely. I loved Cyber Chase. Cyber Chase? It was a PBS show. Oh. Uh, was it was it like a learning show? Might have been. Was there a kid in a wheelchair? I just know the big bad guy had a green face and like a purple thing. And he had a big chest, a purple like Dracula kind of outfit thing. And there was like a bird thing. It was a mechanical mm. little redhead kid with a yellow shirt is the main character. And then I think a uh, woman, I'm thinking red hat, purple also maybe. What was the Scooby-Doo thing called? Oh, Cyber. Yeah, Cyber Chase. Was it Cyber Chase? I think so. They were both Cyber Chase? Okay, yeah. look it up, Cyber Chase. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I would rather watch that and other PBS programming, genuinely. I'm sorry. But for some reason, when I was a kid, I just hated Code Lyoko and Codename Kids Next Door. <laughs> I was if those bring two up, things were on, I, was, I couldn't stand it. I was going to bring up Code Lyoko. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing a couple episodes of Code Lyoko and then listening to a podcast a few years ago about some people being like, hey. Code Lyoko is amazing, and more people need to rewatch it. And I'm like, mm, I don't think I'm going to. I listen it ain't to me, babe. Half an episode of the podcast. I'm like, I can't even get through this. I'm yeah. not watching Code Lyoko. I like Code Kid Next Door, though. I thought that shit was yeah. fun. There was something about it that just rubbed me the wrong way. You know, like when like just like an animation style will turn you off. Like yeah. same thing happens to me for that. like King of the Hill. Yeah, absolutely. King of the Hill. I'm sure there's something there. Can't ever get over the way it looks. No, I get that absolutely. Just rubs me the wrong way. Diegetic sound, baby. Diegetic sound. Um, uh, what else? Oh, yeah. So then eventually it was Grounded for Life yep. and that 70s show. That was another big yep, one that was yep, always yep. on. Um, even before school, a lot of the times my mom would work 
you know, like six to two kind of like office jobs or like nine to five or whatever. And, you know, we'd have to get up at like five, six in the morning and she'd take me to like my great aunt so I could go to school there and she'd get me off the bus while my mom was still working, kind of like a, almost like a latchkey type deal. And uh, while we were getting up, getting ready it was early enough i don't know when it stopped being on tv but about five in the morning uh captain planet would always be on oh very cool i never really understood or watched a full episode but i always caught a couple of minutes and i was like fuck so cool the green mullet and that fucking suit so cool i i I very distinctly remember getting up before school in preschool Uh uh-huh i went to pm classes so i would watch caillou and then when caillou was over i liked caillou i'd go to preschool I remember like a neighbor asking me like, oh, what's that? Like their parent being like, what time, what time do you go to school? And I go, when Caillou's over. And they're like, what time does Caillou come on? And I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, well, what time is Caillou over? I'm like, lady, I am four, maybe five. I do not know time. <laughs> yeah. That's very funny. Um, also, in high school, I'd have to catch the bus, but I'd be able to catch a little bit of, uh, I think it was Full House. But then by the mm. time, like, Saved by the Bell was on, I knew I was late Yeah, to the bus or something like that. That's funny. Yeah. I've never really seen Saved by the Bell. I don't think I've seen an episode of Saved by the I've Bell. I've seen a couple because I was really big into, like, the Nick at Night. That's what I would switch to anytime. Oh, me too. But, I do, I but don't anytime re- that, like, uh, Adult Swim had something bad on that, I was like, ah, I'm not yeah. really into this. I don't remember Saved by the Bell ever being It might not have been on there. It could have been ABC Family or something. I but I would do it. that. I would go watch old programming anytime that I was like, oof, not into this. Oh, yeah. So seven. Yeah. Um, stuff that did work for me. Um, a lot of it is I, I just like kind of the quiet moments with Morgan Freeman, uh, the tension that builds between those two characters of, you know, mm-hmm. David Mills and, and, and William Somerset. Um, and yeah, kind of the, the that is what I really like is the, the you know, the young, the new guy, the old guy is about to retire, right? You know, just their conflicting um, personalities, but also the weird ways where they just kind of like overlap in little ways and they have like a mutual admiration, but for some reason they're doing this will they, won't they thing in the beginning that kind of abruptly, in my opinion, I don't like how quick the turn is, like that his wife invites him to dinner and then from then they're like, all right, guess what? We're best friends. Yeah. Happens a little quick, but it also works just fine. Not that mad about it. I will also shout you out. I, as I told you last night, pretty much called it that the wife was going to be mm-hmm. no more because as we've been watching scream you're always you're, you're always able to decide uh, deduct who the 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 uh, killer is at least in the sequels because you're like mm, haven't seen so and so in about an hour yeah 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 and yeah we watched uh seven specifically on a dvd i've never seen this before but it had a side a and a side b and yeah. halfway through the fucker we had to flip it to yeah, watch like, the second half. I and don't she's just, not in the second half. You can you can fit an entire movie on a VHS tape. <laughs> you can definitely fit it on an optical disc. I don't know why. Uh, well, that's um, the other thing. It's only two hours. I can understand it. Like, The Godfather's on two D discs. Yeah. But it's a three-hour... Or on, not two discs, two VHS tapes. Yeah, but it's yeah, a three-hour yeah. movie. Yeah. So you have to put a movie here and a movie there because 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. 90 minutes times I two is three hours. Guarantee a seven on VHS is one tape. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah. Um, I will say this time around... A character that I uh, found myself liking more and empathizing with and thinking about more um, is don't know her name, so it kind of goes in the Tracy? face of what I just said. The wife, yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow, Tracy, I think Tracy. Um, when he's talking about, uh, you know, he, it was his idea to come work in this city, mm-hmm. um, and she's not happy with it. Then they go to the house, 
She's like, yeah, sorry, it's a bit of a mess. We're still unpacking, and Brad Pitt's in the other room just rolling around on the floor with the dogs. And she's like, yeah, we were we were high school sweethearts. I thought he was funny, and I knew I was going to marry him. And Morgan Freeman's like, mm, really? Um, and I'm like, ah, that's rough. And, you know, you can tell she's not super happy here being here. And then they're at dinner, and a train comes by, and their whole apartment starts shaking. Mm. And uh, watching that last night, I was like, oh, fuck, poor Gwyneth, Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah. Like, this is, this sucks. Like, mm-hmm. I uh, uh, I really feel for her in this movie. And then Brad Pitt's like, yeah, the realtor. Could never figure out why. He only showed us the place for five minutes at a time. We fell in love with it. And first night here. And Morgan Freeman goes, hmm, built-in, very soothing, built-in vibrating house. And there's a beat, and he just starts howling. Morgan mm-hmm. Freeman does, and then they all start laughing. I'm like, that was good. That was really good. I really enjoyed that. But also, yeah, and I think immediately after, she calls up Morgan Freeman because she has no one to talk to in the city. She's like, I'm pregnant. This place sucks. I don't want to have a fucking baby here. And then you never see her again. And that's my only complaint. I also yeah. agree with you. I love the character. I love the things she's dealing with. I love Gwyneth Paltrow as her. She does a great job. But yeah, it, it, I understand it's a two-hour movie, too, so like you don't want to bloat it anymore. Um, so I don't know what was cut, but maybe perhaps there was more with her and it ended up being yeah. cut or whatever. But yeah, I feel like it ends up being one of those things where we've got two really good scenes with her. The movie ignores her by and large otherwise. And then at the end, the twist is, which I actually like, yeah. that Kevin Spacey has killed her. And it's one of those things where it's like, mm, yes, good twist. But also I feel like the movie should have invested in her a little bit more, Yeah, you know, for this to really punch, um, because it is an emotional, th- and I, I also like his whole twist about turning Brad Pitt into his wrath. Yep, yep. Character and whatnot. And I also think it's appropriate that it ends with him killing Kevin Spacey. That fits in line with his character and all that. Oh. And yeah, that's what I was going to say before I got distracted by Max Payne and ABC Family and Cyber Chase. Um, yeah, I think that was the biggest takeaway from seeing it earlier in my life was, oh, this is fucked up, oh, this is fucked up, oh, this is fucked up, and then him at the end being like, oop, killed your wife, she's this one, and you're gonna kill me, and you're gonna be the last one, and being like, oh, fuck, mm-hmm. oh, this guy's playing 3D chess over here. Yeah. But yeah, now watching it again, I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you would fall asleep at this point, but immediately I was thinking, there's two more bodies, and you're gonna take two detectives out to the middle of nowhere? Mm-hmm. Sounds like the two detectives are going to be the last bodies. So the only thing that was really a twist for me was, again, the idea that he had planned on being one of the bodies. Yeah. I did not deduce that. But already I was skeptical because I was like, two bodies, two cops, two bodies, two cops. So How does, I was asleep during it, how does uh, uh, that monster Kevin Spacey hold up like a, Especially when he's just rambling in the back of the cop seat. Not rambling, but going on a monologue, I guess. He's riling up Brad Pitt. Yeah. He's already starting to play mind games. Yeah. To a degree, there's a witch where, as you say, he's playing like 3D chess, right? Like he's already trying to get under his skin so that he's going to be more agitated. So when the bad news comes, he's going to be even more. He's already trying to, you know, grow that garden, right? The yeah. wrath garden. I had a bad feeling that watching it again, and I didn't, again, I was asleep, that it would be a little, uh, little heavy handed, a little cheesy. No, I don't think so. The whole okay. time, I thought he was just kind of toying with them again because I didn't necessarily see the wrath thing coming. Uh, I think he does a really good job. He's still very subdued uh, in a good way. I think Kevin Smith is a very, very good, subtle actor. Let's call him Kevin Smith from now on, yeah. Good oh, one. shit. Yeah. Kevin Spacey. <laughs> no, Kevin Smith. <laughs> um, side note, apparently real-life monster, but as an on-screen character inside of 
this film and a couple of other films that I like, he serves his purpose. Purpose. Um, but yeah, I think he does. He plays it very well. You know, nice and and there's you know Brad Pitt just keeps telling him like sit back, sit back and stuff, and he doesn't. He keeps his face right there, and he just keeps very steady, unwavering, just getting under his skin fucking with them you know and the whole time you can see morgan freeman's obviously kind of catching on to like okay he's trying to get a rise out of him you know what's going on mm-hmm. what's his angle you know what's he doing um it was what i was what, what started making me think like oh this end might not be great is when uh they're outside of an apartment for one of the murders and a photographer comes up and goes hey let me get your picture chick 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 that's a camera sound chick 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 and brad pitt like blows up at him and Morgan Freeman's like, hmm, you gotta keep that tempo under control. And he's like, ah, sorry, I just can't help it sometimes. He's like, hmm, you gotta help it, though. And he's like, hmm, I just can't. I'm being like, hmm. This feels too, this feels a little heavy-handed. This feels too much like they're like, hey, remember this. Remember he's a hothead. Remember he makes rice decisions. Remember he gets, he blows up sometimes. Mm. Yeah, I was also thinking throughout the film that perhaps Somerset was envy. Yeah. You know? He's envious of that other life, that quiet life, that small place where you don't have to be apathetic, right? So again, like I say, it also was a bit of a shock when that happened later on. Um, I will say, ending, I don't mean to be the plot hole guy or anything like that. I'm not saying they're plot holes. But I feel like the helicopter would be making a much bigger deal about that van. And would be able to see that van coming from much farther away. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I'm also very curious as to why... Morgan Freeman like beelines it all the way over to the van. Again, it seems like something perhaps the helicopter would try to take care of or something. I don't oh yeah, no, they'd have like a perimeter. Someone would have stopped that van before yeah. it got close. I I still think it's again, you know, going back to like the movie being like, let's allow it some. I, I allow every movie a little bit of plot holes for the sake of like, is it going to be impactful? Is it going to feel good when it happens in the movie? I think it does. Like I said, it just never hits that next yeah. level for me i don't remember what he says again asleep but whatever kevin spacey says to get them to go out to the desert uh, again it's uh, just a plot hole thing i get it for the yeah. movie it ha- they the movie tries to acknowledge it a bit what is it what it is is it's his lawyer says you'll get a full confession from my client if it specifically has to be somerset and mills but if you know he can take them specifically to the last two bodies or whatever and in the movie, like, everybody in the little room, like, the, the Full Metal Jacket police chief is like, this madness, this isn't illegal, we can't just do these things, you can't just do that, or whatever. And I think it's Mills or Margaret Freeman that's like, fuck it, all right, let's let it, let's let it happen, let's go, you know? Yeah, I feel, and, yeah, plot holy, I think, I think in real life it would be like, oh no. Yeah, no, absolutely no, no. not, yeah. We do not need a full confession from you, yeah. we have, you have no, you have cut off your fingerprints, yeah. sir. I think that's incriminating. I think, <laughs> I think you are booked and out of here. Yeah. Oh, well, that's another thing. I mean, you just sparked that. That's another conversation we kind of lightly had last night where I was talking about, like, I feel like, again, it's provocative and it's kind of shocking, but, like, did he have to go to the fingerprints level? Like, he was already so smart and he's, like, trained and, you know, educated in, like, you know, Spencer, uh, Spencerian or whatever, Chaucerian fucking, you know, uh, Mil- uh, uh, Milton, you know, Lost, uh, Paradise Lost. He's, you know, this smart guy and he's orchestrating these seven deadly sins and, you know, he's slipping in and out of a lawyer's, uh, you know, uh, fucking office, you know, around, like, the cleaning schedule of when the doors get locked and no one sees him and, 
all this kind of stuff. He's so clever. He's almost a Batman villain, right? And then on top mm-hmm. of it, he's doing this other thing to cut off his, you know, fingertips, even though he's orchestrated it in a way where they're going to find the bodies within a four or five day context. And it just seems like, again, just another, almost like it, going too far kind of a thing. Like, yeah, you think like he'd be smart enough to know wear that gloves. gloves exist. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah, As soon as you started saying he'd be smart enough, I was like, oh, Nick's thinking, yeah, my gloves. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's shocking for shock's sake, right? Like, it's like, yeah. wear gloves, bro. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And he's also, like, yeah, the whole thing where he's like, yeah, I'll cut off my fingerprints and I'll time it so they do this and then I'm this big, I'm, I'm a mastermind. Mm. No. They find him in the middle of the movie and he has to run away in a gun chase. And then the other thing is like, another thing the movie mentions in passing but then i don't think ends up doing enough with is again like that just that room of over 2000 notebooks with 250 pages in them and none of them are dated and it's like this stream of consciousness like man's mind and they're on the shelf in no discernible order right Mm. that's great but then the one thing morgan freeman reads from it is just a man uh, is just kevin spacey being so disgusted by the banality of a conversation on a train that he throws up on the guy and again, it's one of those things where it's like, there's not actual substance there that's just, yeah. you know, like a Holden Caulfield level, like, oh, phonies. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, you know, when it comes to Catcher in the Rye, there's a little more to read in there because actually there's the subtext of it being alluded to. And actually it's a part of the movie that a, one of his like old teachers tries to make an advance on him, right? So there's this building narrative that I've heard recently about the idea that like, well, he's displaying traits of what, you know, a, a, a child sexual abuse, you know, mm-hmm. victim would how they'd behave kind of yeah. thing right? these are textbook and again it's just one of those things where like i say like there ends up being in my opinion just no deeper context ever for yeah. a lot of things which is fine again it ends up being in my opinion you ready i'm gonna say you know strong c plus light b minus i'm i'm right there with you yeah, yeah. you know again not a movie i'm mad at not a movie i hate you know decent movie I gotta feed my cat. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, the cat's fed now. Woohoo. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I agree. It's a solid seven out of ten. That'd Ooh. be what a C is, like a 70%. So. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't exactly a miserable experience. Misery was good. <laughs> uh,. We, we, we all we, before we watched Seven, we watched Misery, as we said at the at the top of the show. Um, I'd never seen it before, in the slightest. I think we had both talked about how we had seen the Family Guy episode about it. Yes, hundred percent, pretty much it. And you know, just real quick, I'm gonna say it. I like Family Guy parodies. I like when they par- do little snippets where they're parodying other stuff. I I just enjoy it. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> and I gotta say, uh, you know, watching Misery, I did not go back and watch uh, Family Guy's uh, parody of Misery, but uh, I just, just think it back fondly. Perhaps it's a, it's a nostalgic thing, you know. I didn't, you know, I grew up watching Family Guy and stuff like yeah. that. It's been years and years and years since I've seen anything related to the show or whatever. But yeah, you know, it's a part of my childhood. I know it's not cool right now, but you know, I look back at it the same way I look back at you know foster's home for the imaginary kids or something you know yeah for imaginary kids yeah for imaginary friends yes jesus but yeah i spent a lot of time with family guy uh and you know i just kept thinking i feel like 
they really captured the vibe of this. You know, I felt very familiar. Yeah, I was gonna let to you misery. I was gonna let you sweat. That's why I, I, I didn't say anything. But yeah. I immediately watched the Family Guy episode. <laughs> I wanted to. Been a while since I see Family Guy. Yeah. It, was, it was fun. Again, yeah. just Family Guy. Like you said, yeah. very very fond memories. Just yeah. makes me chuckle. Just is what it is. I don't think it necessarily deserves to be considered like the monster energy drink of having taste in television. Yeah. But everybody has monsters bro some days i will say a little sleepy biggest surprise watching that hmm. is opening up hulu going to the page and seeing that there are like 18 seasons of family guy or something like yeah, that Yeah, i guess that should never stop yeah i remember watching season like seven mm-hmm. on hulu when hulu first started mm-hmm. and so i thought no this will probably be around season seven it's not there's so much family guy yeah <sighs> but misery misery um based on a stephen king novella book full full book 400 pages you said i think 420 pages nice bong bongs um i had a blast with misery i thought it was great i I always thought this was like an uh, early 80s movie i think it's 1990 1992 Mm -hmm. maybe um our 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 um our boy James Caan mm-hmm. from Elf, Elf, and nothing else was in this. Um, I like him in this better than I liked him in Elf. Um, that's a joke. He's in Godfather, which we just watched. I don't think I've ever seen Elf. Um, you will this Christmas season. We'll see. Um, you know we're gonna have to watch some Christmas movies. Okay, can we watch Jingle All the Way? Yeah, that's love, a given. Love Jingle All the Way. Um, and fuck, what else was I gonna say about Misery? It was good. I enjoyed it. I thought Kathy Bates killed it. Um, I thought it was very tense in a lot of parts. It was very. It's very much so a movie where I'm yelling at the TV. You think so? Yeah. Why? In and outside of my head. Not 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 in like ah, oh, that's that's what you call an a, 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 an act break or something yeah. like that. But just like oh no, dude, why are you doing that? Get back in the chair. Get back in the yeah. chair. Just stuff like that. I under yeah. It's one of those things where I agree with you because. Uh, James Caan, as we know, just real quick expositionally, gets into a car accident. He's a famous writer. The woman who saves him turns out to be her biggest fan and also crazy. Uh, he's broken both his legs. He's bedridden. She's nursing him. She is a nurse. But is she nursing him? There's that whole thing with the pills the whole time, but we'll get into that in a second. But yeah, you know, he tries to escape the room a couple of times. And that's what exactly, I know what you mean, because it's one of those things where it's like, yes, I understand, bro. I get it. I would too, but also... Stay in the room. Just stay in the room. Yeah, you're yeah, safe yeah. in the room. I mean, not yeah. that safe, but you're still more safe in the room. Yeah. You know, I definitely felt like watching it, I was like, okay, bro, I don't know how long you've been here. Your arms have to work. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Not to be sexist, but you are a grown man. Yeah. And this is a woman who's like a foot or two shorter than you. Even if your legs don't work, you can choke this woman to death. And then she just starts stabbing him with needles. And I'm like, mm, no, never mind. She's got you, bro. She's got yeah. you. Yeah, the needles were particularly rough. In general, there ended up being more rough scenes than I thought there would be. Like it was genuinely rough to watch her fucking hobble him. Yeah, you were. I. That's that's the only thing I know about misery is that that happens and that seemed to get you out of nowhere. Like, yeah, you, I was like, did you God not? Damn. Did you not know no, that? Didn't know she rebreaks his ankles. It's the co- it's the the cover of the DVD, and I think all the posters are her holding that sledgehammer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In my mind, I've never paid much attention. I thought it was an axe, maybe. 
just haven't really yeah. looked at it that, yeah. that intently, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah, that, it, yeah. it was still rough, though. No, it was rough. I they only showed the first one, but it was rough. Like, through, through the the whole movie, like, he's writing a book, and, like, things are getting better, mm-hmm. and it starts to seem like maybe he's getting out of there. And every, like, five, ten minutes, I'd have to remind myself, like, oh, right, she clubs his feet. I got, <laughs> that, that's still coming. <laughs> On the topic of him writing the book, I also genuinely like that there are a couple of attempts, right, where she comes back and she's like, no, 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 no. And, I mean, she doesn't say this, but she basically says, like, you're not going to half-ass your way out of this. You have to write a oh, book yeah. I like to get out of oh, here. Oh yeah, that, that's the thing. He he, she finds him, and uh, he's got his new book that he just wrote. This is the oh, la- last that got me too. last in a series um, yeah. that she loves. The character's name is Misery, um, and in this book, he killed off Misery because he's tired of writing Misery books. And she's like, "Oh, I saw it in your bag. Can I read it?" And he's like, "Oh, well, I really only let like you know my publisher and my uh, my business partner read it, but I think I can make an exception for someone, you know." Who saved my life and is mm-hmm. nursing me back to health? And she's like, "Yay!" And she reads it, and then she comes. Uh, it's a shot of just in the middle of the night. And he wakes up, and she's just in the room, and it's dark in there, and she's just angry. She's like, "You son of a bitch!" Whatever she says, because she's she doesn't swear at all. She's very she's very uh, uh, she's a woman of God. Um, and yeah, so she makes start, starts making him rewrite a, a better book. Mm-hmm. She makes him set it on fire and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which I thought that immediately when she brings the the grill in, I was like, mm-hmm. maybe do this outside. <laughs> yeah. Maybe wheel him out there. I was watching some of the scraps flying to the air, still on fire, and like land on like the curtain and stuff. And I'm yeah. Like, oh, jeez, no, no. Yeah, they burnt. They definitely burnt down a set or two. Yeah, but yeah, that was definitely brutal. The. Uh, her making him burn that book was it that the book that she read was the one where he dies or was it the last one and the book that he had was something he had personally wrote that he thought was really good that didn't have to do with misery no the one she made him burn is the one where misery dies okay giving childbirth yeah okay um but yeah that was pretty uh brutal especially like uh yeah for some reason in my mind i feel like i remember it being him having written something that wasn't misery related it it does get a little confusing, I think, personally, because she goes out to the store and comes back with one of his new books. And yeah. She's like, oh, I'm going to read it cover to cover. And I think what's happening is she, she's reading the one that just came out mm-hmm. and the one he had just written yeah. kind of simultaneously. Okay. Because um, I thought that was why he cared about it so much when yeah. she burned it. I, I and mean, it's the I, only copy, right? And it's like just the only thing that he's ever... I don't know. Anyways, that is still a very tense scene, though. Like, when she makes him burn it and he's, like, trying to, like, plead with her a bit, she's like, nah, there's plenty of copies. My, my publisher's already got a copy. This is not a big deal. And she's like, ha, 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 James Scott. I know you better than that. I'm your biggest fan, remember? You make one copy because you're superstitious, yeah. and then you have one cigarette. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that was very tense. Um... Also, I was just thinking, again, one of those movies I'm yelling at my TV and I'm in that situation in my head and I'm like, no, you just say this. This is what you got to say when she's like, oh, we're going to burn the book. I'd just be like, okay, no, I'll just, I'll rewrite the ending. It's going to be way faster than rewriting a whole book. Yeah, I mean, it is a neat thing that he kind of figures out by the end, right? By the end, he's able to kind of like talk to her on the insane level a little bit, you know? Um. But yeah, I also like the slow progression of her just like losing her temper a little bit and him being yep. like, she's a little crazy. And then like just slowly being like, oh no, she's like kill me crazy. This I yep. got to get out of here, you know. Um, and yeah, so I don't want to sound like a broken record. I know we said it a lot, but yeah, I was genuinely surprised with how tense it is. Um, I was genuinely surprised with some of the more shocking moments. Mm-hmm. And again, I think this movie does a really good job of, you know, 
being sort of like genuinely shocking. Like I really didn't see her rebaking his feet uh, coming, but that's something that like, you know, it's, I mean, to compare it to seven, even though it's a wild comparison, it's hmm. not like, uh, oh, you know, now I'm going to make you cut off a pound of your flesh and, uh, you know, because of greed or whatever. Uh, it's genuinely like, you think he's getting better. You think he's going to leave. And then she's like, no, sorry, you're not going to leave. Yeah. And it's like, oh, God. Yeah, she's, all, she's, like, she's basically finding excuses to keep him there longer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I like the lines in the beginning. I mean, you can kind of yeah. tell she's lying. Where she's like, oh, yeah, phone lines are down. Oh, roads are still whatever. Oh, you know what? Well, the phone down at the store works, you know. Or even when he crawls out and she's gone to the length of, you know, tearing her own phone lines out in case he does find a way to yep. escape, you yep. know. Um. I, yeah, there's a lot of little details. I mean, even like when he's like trying to use the the hair pin in the thing, he's like, "Come on, you've written about it now, do it." You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah. I like uh, I, j- I like her a lot. Uh, Kathy Bates kills it. Yes. Um, I yeah. love uh, I love just the unrelenting, goody two shoes Christian, no matter what's going on. Like there's that scene where she comes in and she's like in a bathrobe and she's all her hair's down and she's just carrying a gun. And she's just angry with her. It's not loaded. It's not loaded. Maybe I will go get bullets. He's like, is everything okay? And she's like, hmm, just the rain gives me the blues. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I also really like there's a little snippet where you see her, like, in her bed at, like, 9 p.m. with, like, Doritos on her lap and, like, a two-liter of Coke. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I've spent some time in rural areas. And uh, just like Fargo almost, how they're always in bed together just watching TV. It's just one of those staples of rural life. That's what my mom and her husband do. As soon as work is over, they get in bed. My stepdad smokes some pot, and they just eat and eat and eat and watch whatever garbage. Yep. Whatever garbage. Um, On a side note also, obviously, uh, it's supposed to be a bit of a metaphor for how Stephen King felt like his fans were treating him in terms of you know, wanting a certain thing out of him that doesn't line up with what he wants to put out and yada, yada, yada. And so it kind of becomes that, you know, it's, it's, it's misery is kind of the original Stan, Eminem Stan. Yeah. So that's fun. I have no more to say about it, but it is, you know, I can't necessarily speak to it, but I, like I say, I, I have seen that story told before. It's a, you know, it's a sympathetic one. I can understand the frustration of being some sort of creator and wanting to make a certain thing, but then also having to reconcile with the fact that it's going to make a lot of people upset. Yeah. You know, and kind of getting to that point where you're like, yeah, it makes me money, but also do I really want to keep making money? Like, could I financially take the blow for the sake of being happy with what I'm doing? Yeah. You know, so, you know, that's neat. That's a neat backbone, and it's always neat when, you know, that movie works with that metaphor, but also without that metaphor. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? You don't yeah. even need that context necessarily. So that's great. And in general, honestly, it kind of gives me a vibe. I've never seen Rear Window. But I have seen a couple of Hitchcock movies, and I assume Rear Window would be the best example because I assume it's a pretty contained story. You're stuck to that one little apartment. I want to say it kind of Hitchcockian a little bit. It kind of feels a little like a Hitchcock yeah. movie to me. Yeah. Um, um, but was... not one of his sprawling, like, North by Northwest adventures. A very contained, small Hitchcock story. Um, I, I was reading... Um... The director, ooh, can't remember. Rob Reiner. Rob Reiner, watched a lot of Hitchcock movies before making. Oh no, this. kidding! Yeah. yeah, and like I, there, uh, I forgot who said. I think it was James Caan. Like heard him like yelling at himself, like chastising himself after a scene or something. He's like, "Who do you think you are, Alfred Hitchcock? Come on, get it together." Uh, that's very funny. James Caan also does a great job. A lot of his wincing and groaning and all that seems very real and yep, agonized. Yep. Um, I also like him. I also like Kathy Bates. Uh. You know, that's, again, one of the things that 
Um, is not going to make or break a movie for me necessarily, but like, uh, you love Hereditary. I do. I liked Hereditary. But one of the biggest things about it to me was just like, damn, like, I don't like anybody in this story remotely. Yeah. Not even a little bit. Um, love Tony Collette. Love her and everything she's in. Even yeah. when she's not supposed to be lovable, just love her. Um, that's fair. Like I said, I just I didn't end up resonating with me. And, uh, you know, I just always like to take the time out whenever it really, really becomes apparent to me. Like Scream, we mentioned it in this movie. Just again, yeah, I genuinely care about and like these characters. Yeah. Even like Kathy Bates, she's still sympathetic enough that like I'm, you know, she's a psycho or whatever. But like there's a point where she's tender to me, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, when she says she's got the blues when it's rainy, I'm like, oh, poor Kathy. You know, like, you know, she's mentally unwell, but she's not... You know, yeah, she's you, not a boogeyman in a closet. She's someone who needs genuine help. Yeah, up until he gets to the point where he opens a book and she saves pieces of scrap paper where it just is like, I'm a baby murderer. Yes. I murdered a bunch I of babies. I absolutely forgot about all that. I got to take yeah, it back. Yeah, I got to yeah. take it way back. I have to take it all back, what I've said. I take it back. <laughs> yeah. I, I, but I, no, she is characterized enough that she is a bit sympathetic, even after the... I will say that's... Up until that point, I guess. Maybe the, my biggest problem with the movie is uh, this is what like probably an hour and 15 minutes in and she's like broken his legs and stuff and he finds that a book and he's like oh no i'm in trouble <laughs> yeah yeah man we knew yeah, yeah we knew something was wrong with this lady yeah it's becoming now. spring now you've been in trouble for a month <laughs> or two <laughs> yeah yeah uh but yeah i do like that i do like i don't know there's just a great atmosphere to the thing there's a great sense of passing of time i could genuinely really really see myself wanting to revisit this movie every winter time yeah it's got a nice wintry atmosphere and you know it's got that same thing where like i've i haven't in the last couple of years but every christmas i remember it so fondly i want to watch jingle all the way mm -hmm. you know the same way that some people treat die hard like it's a christmas movie i think that's one of those annoying things it's it's like a it's like a pickle rick level yeah. Oh, I'm crazy for bacon level Fucking joke. I, I hate when people say it. The thing that gets me the most about it. Yeah. Or everyone's so adamant about it. Like, no, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I have never, ever heard someone say, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. It's just people going, no, it is a Christmas movie. And other people yeah. going, I don't care. Yeah. Whatever. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. Who was debating about it being a Christmas movie? I've never seen... Like, where were the articles about how, like, hey, okay, all right, what, are we getting crazy? We're letting anything fly? Yeah. You know, there was never that moment, I don't think. Maybe I'm missing a huge piece of the narrative, but... Yeah, no, I, 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 the Die Hard Christmas movie thing always makes me mad. Yeah. My brother-in-law is one of those guys. One of my personal things is I, I, I think in my head of uh, LA Confidential as a Christmas movie. Okay. Just because it happens during Christmas, so it's got a Christmassy vibe. Yeah. So again, during the winter, I think about rewatching it. Yeah, sure, but it happens during Christmas. But I would never, uh, you know, write like a BuzzFeed article about like, yeah. Die Hard's a Christmas movie and here's why, you know. Yeah, no, I... I or I mean LA Confidential, yeah. Uh, again, my brother-in-law is one of those guys... I'm all, I always say what I just said to you, like, it's just, it's people who, who like Die Hard and think it's a Christmas movie and other people who don't want to argue with you and don't care. They think you're right, fine, whatever. <laughs> and then I think, I think it was last Christmas, Conan O'Brien tweeted, he's like, there are two type of people, people who think Die Hard's a Christmas movie and people who don't give a shit. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh man, I'm as funny as Conan O'Brien. That's what that means. So you loved the sheriff character. I was just going to say, we have not talked about my favorite part of this movie. I also love the sheriff character. I love the dynamic is. between him and his wife. Yep. I love just their laid back, wholesome. Feels very Twin Peaks to me. Does, absolutely. Just a sheriff I in a small town. Just be like, hmm. It feels yeah. very Fargo to me, too. Just and you to, know what I love about Twin Peaks and like David Lynch's like weird, surreal, dreamy, mm -hmm. you know, picturesque life, but something's off, is that... 
part of that surrealism is almost like an uncanny thing, right? It's familiar, but a little unfamiliar. And so, like, because of that familiarity that it has, uh, it, this is the dot that I'm going to try to connect. Um, I feel like a lot of the times I'm watching other stuff and just the smallest thing, I'll be like, hey, you know, that, that makes me think of Twin Peaks, right? Yeah. Just because it, you know, it might not be surreal or dreamy, but it just has that little aspect of, like, I don't know, just feel like I'm home for a minute, mm-hmm. you know? The way I, I feel about him uh, is kind of the same way I feel about the police department in, in Twin Peaks is they feel so steeped and a part of this town but also on the outside of it just a little bit at the same time where they're like watching it through like through like a plexiglass plate. Yes. Um, uh, and so him just figuring things out and just like being on top of everything all the time and him like him coming back to the, 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 the office with all the books mm-hmm. and his wife's on the phone. She's like, Hey, you can talk to him now. And he takes the phone. And he's like, uh, Hey Ted, how you doing? Well, no, if you, if you don't want people sitting on that bench, you shouldn't have put a bench outside your store. <laughs> No, I'm not going to come down there and tell him to move. Yeah. All right. You have a good rest of your day. Tell mm-hmm. Pat I said hi. Uh, and I just I just love that. Um, cause well, it's it's a moment almost like the the moment where he's like, you've written about it. Now do it. It's just a little characterization, right? Just yeah. a little taste of who they are. And I love it. I love it, too. Yeah. And I love uh, you get it from him immediately, like right off the bat when his uh, when uh, James Conn's publisher calls him. She's like, can I pe- speak to the sheriff or the head of the department or uh, uh, a or whatever the third yeah, he's one was. like, well, actually, I'm all three. And he's, like, he's like, well, which one would you like to talk to? She's like, well, would it matter? He's like, no, because I'm all three. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was that moment where he clues in, <laughs> singles in on, go ahead. I'm sorry, right after that, when uh, she's like, I'm sorry, is any of this even making sense? Uh, and he's like, well, I'm not sure there's much we can do, but I will take all this information for you, and it's running through the system right now, and he just takes a sticky note with that <laughs> yeah. guy's name on it and puts it on the wall. Yeah. Oh, I love That's it. That's a system, I guess. But uh, there's that moment where he clues into it being Kathy Bates, basically. Yeah. She just gets out of the car, and she goes, oh, cock or something like that. And I was like, watch that be something Misery says all yeah. the time or something. Because yeah. he's been reading diligently. Yep. Yep. That's part yep. of his police work is just, I'm going to crack open these 12 books and yep. <laughs> read them all. And I love that. I love that he takes his time. Um it did not turn out that that's a saying in the book. Instead, it was just, oh, hey, isn't that that girl who killed a bunch of babies? And no. so he goes and looks it up. He goes and looks and it he up. Finds and finds the quote. He finds a quote that yeah. he's really taken by in the book. I don't remember what it is. Something to the effect of, like, your mortal courtrooms will not judge me the way that the Most High will. Oh, I can't yeah, remember verbatim yeah. what it is, yeah. but it's, it's something like that. It right? is yeah. only God can judge me, basically. Yeah. Basically, yeah. It's a live, laugh, love, basically. Basically. Yeah. It's no regrets, basically. And you said you wanted to talk about the pills? Oh, yeah. Pills. Uh, were those just supposed to be kind of sort of sedatives, I suppose? I think so, yeah. Yeah. I think they were, like, just to... They're, they're Not heavy. Just a little bit. Just to keep them a little... A little loopy so he doesn't yeah. feel the pain. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, ever... yeah. Well, I guess they must also have been for the pain for sure, 100%. Yeah. I was just thinking, like... Because there's a point where he's like, man, should I keep taking these? And then my mind just went off on like, well, shit, what is she giving him? But yeah, you're right. It's probably just actually pain stuff. And he did a certain point. He was like, I don't need to keep being out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you, have you ever taken anything like that for like an injury? Mm-mm. I, I have, I got, uh, when I got my wisdom teeth taken out and the way they work are, they make you loopy and they make you high, but you're, you, you're still in pain. You still feel it. But you're so stoned, you just don't care. Like people are like, "How do you feel?" And you're like, "You know what? Honestly, I feel great. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't even matter." I do love taking Dayquil and staying up, though. Yeah. Yeah. 
I don't do it when I'm not sick. Okay. But when I'm sick, it's one of those things where I'm like, damn, I basically suffocating, can't breathe, but I don't know. I feel a little, a little funny. Fun There's something about the earth. sleepy aspect of day yeah. or NyQuil. That's sorry, NyQuil specifically. I might have said DayQuil. DayQuil doesn't have the same mm. effect. NyQuil does. Yeah. Because I think it's got that little sleepy sleep stuff. Huh? Like, oh, man, I'm real sick and I feel like shit, but I get to have a little treat. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of how I feel. I'm like, damn, I'm going to start taking this shit during the day. Oh, fun fact about Chris. It's more of my, uh, aside, my favorite workaholics jokes. I think it's the first episode they have to do the drug test and they don't know how they're going to pass it. So at the end of the episode, one of them just pees in all of the cups. And... uh so the, the guy doing the drug test gets fired and the boss is yelling at her at him listing off all the drugs found in like one person's pee and she's like methanol xanax dayquil nyquil why would anyone take both yes uh i'm familiar with that because it's one of those weird things that like even though i'm only really familiar with like the first two seasons of the show i didn't keep up with it i know you're a bigger fan but for some reason that's one of those jokes that just always sticks with me another example is again just being like 9 10 11 12 13 14 whatever and 15, 16, watching 17. family guy and uh, there's that joke where he's like i didn't even have gas until i was like 30 and then it just hard cuts to him sitting there and he's reading and he farts and he's like what the hell was that and for some reason <laughs> i think about it all the time yeah I think yeah. about that joke i think about the day quill night quill joke never left my mind same thing with the hatchet the book just every oh. day of my life for serving it and i've thought about the fact that he's sitting the you know the cockpit with the pilot and he's like god damn this guy's got farts and then the guy's like oh my arm it kind of hurts and then like a little while later in the book he's like oh i have a heart attack and then you're like oh god those are the signs and they are and i just think about it every day for some reason so there's three things that never leave my mind they say you have like five thousand thoughts a day or something at three. least there's three of them three of them are taken up every day by those things yeah. imagine what you could accomplish if those were free to you <laughs> I wish most of them weren't about Morrowind, a game that I've never played. <laughs> um, Anyways, I'm going to say hard B plus A, but I'm not saying I'm done talking about it necessarily. I'm just saying I was trying to think, and I think I'm going to say probably A at the end of this. Yeah, I, we're just on the same page a. today. Yeah, I get, I'd give yeah. Misery a solid A. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else you're you're thinking about bringing up? I Like I said, I, I, I'm sure there's plenty more I could talk about, especially as I go on to watch it you know two three times you know perhaps there could even be a stage of this podcast where you know a couple of years down the line we re-watch some things yeah not saying everything's going to get that treatment but who knows maybe we you know watch misery and something's different and it's worth talking about but i will know. say my only real problem with it maybe is i think the end if i had to find a problem i'd say the ending is a little too clean wraps up a little bit too nicely yeah, he just kind of fights her, and then he yeah he writes his book, and it ends up being a smash hit. I feel like perhaps it'd be a better ending if it was a little clear that, like, yes, it was good for him, but it didn't pan out great, because it sounds like he gets to have his cake and eat it too, right? Yeah. Like, because she's like, aren't you happy? And he's like, absolutely, I wrote the book for myself, or whatever he says. And uh, he's like, well, she's like, well, the critics love it, and I think your fans are going to like it too and stuff, and it just sounds like... It went a little too perfectly. Yeah. It'd be nice if maybe over dinner they were like, well, credits love it, but it's not going to make you anything. And he's like, no, that's okay. And you could get yeah. enough out of the that's okay where you're like, all right, because it was for him. Yeah. Because it was for him. Uh, if I had my cake and could eat it too, I think the movie would end in the house after. Yeah, probably just him yeah. getting away. Yeah. Yeah. I have nothing much more to say about it. I'll hand it over to you. Yeah, I was trying to think, and I think that that wraps it up good. Good movie. Watch it. Seven watch it but maybe if you're in the mood for something like the crow 
I would call seven something like the crow. Yeah. You know? Yeah. A little better, perhaps. A little more refined, palatable, something people might actually say has more value than the crow. But at the end of the day, that's pretty much more like the crow than anything If else. you feel like being just dirty 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, I was like, is Trent Reznor doing this this soundtrack? It might be. No, it's someone else. I looked at the credit. I looked at the credit. He but even during the opening, I was like, is this a Nine Inch Nails song? He does most of David Fincher's yeah. movies, yeah. Well, that's why, I was, that's why I was primed already to begin with, but... Yeah, I looked at the music by list, and it's something like Robert Graham or something. I can't remember what it was. If I'm being honest, I cannot name a Nine Inch Nails song that isn't also a Johnny Cash song. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I like some of the industrial sounds, because I know that industrial has had an influence on a lot of like records over the last couple of years that I like and stuff, but there's something about it that's really, like, uh, yeah, just uncomfortable. And isn't Nine Inch Nails a reference to the nails that were put in Jesus' hands? Probably. That's a fart noise for yeah. Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Oh, yeah, well, maybe this podcast should have ended in the house. Mm, you're not wrong. Maybe we're, we're uh, at the restaurant scene portion of this. We're we're well. We got a hallucinate. We got a hallucinate. Kathy Bates coming at us, so it's not mind numbing. I actually like that little touch. I don't. I thought that was neat. Do not. No. No. It's like neat little PTSD thing where he's like, nah, but I see her everywhere. If it was a woman, if it was a woman that looked like her, I may might have liked it better. But that it's her, and then coming up to him as a woman that looks nothing like her, he goes, "I'm your biggest fan." Well, no, I like that because that plays into the metaphor of like. Right, like Stephen King and his fans, right? Yeah. And so it, it, it extends it out to like, no, it's not just Kathy Bates. They're all Kathy Bates, right? Which is, I mean, not all, but there are more, right? Yeah. But whatever. You're right. I mean, you know, don't want to take it away from you. Anyways, that's that, uh, Mattress Man. Is that me? Am I Mattress Man? It's a reference to one of my favorite movies. Uh, what is it? Oh, Punch Drunk Love. Oh, so I got to watch that. Yeah. So that's that, Mattress Man. That's... That mattress man. I was trying to think of one from one of my favorite movies, but I can't think of a good. Uh... It's gonna be my new sign off. All right, that's that mattress man. That's that mattress man. You can't take mine. That's that mattress man. If you need more soup, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or go to our website, eatingsoupalone.com. And until next time. <laughs> <laughs>